Well, today I want to talk about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Now, I already know that you guys are excellent students of Scripture and excellent former Sunday school attendees. So you already know this entire story of Zacchaeus. I'm going to test you. Here's a way to test you. Zacchaeus was... Come on. See, Reggie's here. I think Reggie's ushering. He told me you wouldn't know the song. I told him you would. I had the words just in case. He's a wee little man. Ten verses in the very beginning of Luke chapter 19 is where his story is. We're going to talk all about this Zacchaeus character. But to set it up, we're going to back ten chapters back in the Bible to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. We're going to do a little gymnastics here at the beginning with our scripture reading. We'll do that at the end as well. The rest of the time we'll stick in Luke 19. Luke 9, 51. This verse says, When the days drew near for him, referring to Jesus, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he, Jesus, set his face to go to Jerusalem. You see, before Adam and Eve was around, before anything of the world was around, Jesus knew at that particular time he needed to start heading to Jerusalem because the Passover time was coming. And I don't know exactly where he was located at this spot in Luke 9. We don't have the exact location, but we know that it was going to take him quite a while to get from there through Jericho and then to Jerusalem so he could be there for the time of the Passover. Luke 13, moving ahead a couple chapters, Luke 13, 22, it reiterates this for us. It says, He, Jesus, Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. He kept making his, he had a, had a, had a focus of, of getting to Jerusalem. He has his ultimate focus. I need to get there, and I'm going to give my life a ransom. So he kept making his way. Luke 17, 11 says it again, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Luke really wants to make sure we know that he is on the path to Jerusalem. There's an intended time. In fact, I've got a slide here. This shows you Jesus' journey and him and his disciples uh, on their final journey to Jerusalem before uh, he gave his life for us. If we zoom in a little bit closer, we'll see that, that I've circled an approximate location where Luke 17, 11 takes place. We don't know exactly for sure, but this is about 50 to 100 miles away from Jericho. Away from Jericho. And Jericho is the place uh, that uh, we are going to be talking about. And, and, and while Jesus is going to these villages and these, these places, he's healing everybody. He's not healing one individual But anyone who was coming to him, he was healing them, the scriptures teach us. And so his story, the story of this rabbi, this teacher, this mystery man, is rippling through the countryside. People are learning more and more and more about who this guy is, but they still don't know really who he is. 
It's just, it's just interesting that people are starting to think, wow, who is this guy? We see in Luke 18, verse 25 through 43, right as his parade of disciples with him, as they're coming into, we'll call it the suburbs of Jericho, he heals a blind man who called out to him. So many interesting stories along that path as he makes his way to Jericho. And that brings us to our story today of Zacchaeus. The wee little man from Jericho. You see, Jericho is a lush oasis uh, by the Dead Sea, famous for its fertile ground. It's, it, it's by the Jordan River, Elisha's Spring. It's known uh, as the City of Palms. It, it had beautiful scent to it, strong walls, fortifications. It's, it, it's just emphasizing the strong value that it has. A very diverse city. Jericho is, is bustling with people, people all over the place trading. There's a crossroads there, and so people are coming into there, heading to different directions. Many people would have been there at this particular time because of the Passover the following week. This is approximately Thursday before the Holy Week. And so it is crowded. Lots of things are happening. And within these city boundaries lived a man named Zacchaeus. A wealthy man, but a very unpopular tax collector. You see, tax collectors aren't good. According to the scriptures, which I know you know, it, it identifies tax collectors in a lot of bad light. In fact... Jewish people were able to buy a franchise from the Romans. They, they'd go in there, they'd buy their own franchise, and then they can, they can assess a tax on their own people, and anything that the Romans were demanding, and they can ask for more, they get to keep that extra. But not only that, especially in a place like Jericho, one of the primary locations where they were taking in this tax, there were people coming in maybe with a grain cart. And Zacchaeus and his team, they, they, would, they would maybe tax the cart, they would tax the wheels, and then they would tax the grain. And all of that money they got to keep. They weren't well liked. In fact, I, I pulled out five different scriptures just in, in, in uh, the New Testament here talking about how bad tax collectors were and, and what, line, what view they had of them. Going to the bottom one, Luke 18, 11, it says, The Pharisee standing by himself, this is what he prayed. He said, God, man, I thank you. I, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. Oh, they're extortioners, unjust, they're adulterers. Oh, my goodness. Or even like this tax collector. They were the scum of the earth because of what they were doing to their own people. But in addition to Zacchaeus being a tax collector, the scripture teaches us that he was a chief tax collector. So he was a leader, a leading sinner of other sinners. He was a bad, bad guy. But you know what Luke tells us? He was rich. He was rich. Let's read the first four verses in Luke 19. He entered Jericho, Jesus. Jesus entered Jericho. And was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. 
And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now I'm imagining Zacchaeus, take a little liberty here, I imagine Zacchaeus is hearing all kinds of stories about this rabbi, and, and, and I'm guessing even he heard about the guy outside the city gates, the blind man who, who this teacher healed. And I'm, I'm guessing Zacchaeus started getting a little bit curious. Who is this guy? What's his story? What, what, why are everybody following him? And, and is he really healing people? That doesn't even make sense. I think he wakes up the next morning and he's getting dressed. He can hear the crowds all outside. Everybody's already rocking and rolling. It's a beautiful day out. Steps out of his door and he, and he looks down the road and he can see an entourage of, of men and women uh, on the road, a whole bunch of dust coming up. And, and, but then he sees a crowd of kids and he's like, oh, I, I, I bet that's where that teacher is. I bet that's where he is, because I, I heard somewhere along the line, he, he just lets all the kids come to him. I bet that's where he is. But you see, Zacchaeus, he, he was a smart man. He was a calculated man. He, he had good brains. And so I, I'm guessing that, that he started looking at the situation, saying, okay, let's see. That parade is right over there. They're going to go down that street, and they're going to take a left. Yeah, they're going to take, they can't go right. They're going to take a left. I'm going to go that direction. I'm going to head them off. Because I want to get a glimpse of this guy as he walks by. Have you ever had that where, where you're at a, a concert or, or you're at a sporting event? You just want to put yourself in the right position so as they walk by, you're going to be able to see them. I was at a political event one time, and, and a guy running for president and and i you, you just start guessing okay where is he gonna go when when he gets off the stage and and i guessed right and and he walked right past me but you know when i think about zacchaeus i i, I think i think he was longing for connection i don't think i'm reaching on that when i th there's something going on here he was definitely curious but he wanted to somehow connect with this guy, maybe not directly, but just maybe indirectly, just be in his presence, in his area, in his area code. Zacchaeus, though, he had an issue. He was short. He was small. And no one really liked him, so he wasn't going to be able to cut in front of the crowd that was already lined up, ready to go. So he had to try to figure out a way to see this Jesus so he climbed up a sycamore tree. Big old leaves. Imagine this, a grown man. A wealthy man. Whittling his way up on that tree. I don't know exactly how it looked. But he didn't care about that for whatever reason. He didn't care what people were saying. He just wanted to get up that tree. So he can get a view of Jesus. He was determined that this opportunity wasn't going to pass. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something about that determination that really struck me. I love that, that Zacchaeus, he, was, he had such great determination to get to the right spot to see where that place was going. And I wonder, I wonder, what if we have that determination? 
to connect with people. To, to just be in people's presence of some sort. To just uh, make sure you're, you're, you're figuring out what, what, who these people are that you're sitting around. You, if you look, think of the people who are sitting next to you. Do you even know them? Okay, I hope you know your family. But down the row a little bit, do you know those people? How about that family behind you? Do you actually know them? I mean, we give you a whole 60 seconds to get to know people. It's tremendous. What are you doing to really fight through ways to connect with people? How are you strategizing? There are people here that strategize on how to meet and connect with other people. There are people who strategize how to not meet and not connect. I'm challenging you to, to do the former. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we can get familiar with people around us to find out how unique they are in God. I wonder how much that would change us as a church if we got to know new people every single week. Intentionally got to know people. Not just know their name, but to know who they are. And Zacchaeus shows us where there's a will, there's a way. If we generally want to know people that we worship with, we're going to do something about it. We're going to figure it out. It might not involve climbing a tree. Maybe it will. Maybe it's just joining a new ministry, participating in a small group, asking somebody, come enjoy some coffee with me. This wasn't intentional, but we've got an insert in your bulletin, and that insert is about volunteering. That's a perfect segue of, of how you get connected and how you start loving on other people and learning about other people is you volunteer. You, you, there's so many ways, so many gifts that you have that we would love to partner with you on. That would enrich our entire body of Christ. So let's be determined, kind of like Zacchaeus, get rid of the obstacles, whatever that obstacle might be. Let's figure out ways to get rid of that. We see our youth group, youth group leaders, how they make a difference in people's lives. We hear that testimony all the time. And they're just volunteers, just serving Jesus. Let's go to Luke 19 again, verses 5 and 6 now. And when Jesus came to this place came to what place? When Jesus came to the place. What place? It's talking about in Jericho, on the road, on the exact spot in front of that tree. When he came to that place, and then there's a comma. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up, Jesus looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus, so he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. This wasn't a casual invitation. This was a divine interaction. Absolutely divine. But Zacchaeus, when we go to his vantage point, he didn't hesitate. He immediately opened his door. Opened his door to, to Jesus, this stranger he doesn't even know. He didn't know this guy. But he had to be in complete shock. He could not believe that, that this guy, this 
teacher stopped where he stopped. Not only that, he, he looked up. And Zacchaeus, his head was probably poking through the leaves as he was looking. And he's like, oh, he's, he's slowing down. He's slowing down. Wait, he's just talking to himself. No one else wants to be by him. Wait a minute, he's looking up at me. What, what, what's happening? And then Jesus, he pulls it out. Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. That's just amazing to think about. You guys know who Reggie Jackson is? Reggie Jackson was a baseball player in the 70s and 80s. 14-time All-Star, 5-time World Series champion, 2-time World Series MVP, a 1-time AL MVP, 4-time home run leader. In 1993, he received about 97% uh, of the voting. He was a first-time Hall of Famer, first ballot. He was a good baseball player, nicknamed Mr. October. His last game was played on October 4th, 1987. There was a little guy at that game, a 12-year-old. His name was Phil Chapman. Along with my brothers, my dad took us to the Comiskey Park, and we watched Reggie Jackson's last game. My dad would always buy us brand-new baseballs. We'd have our baseball gloves with us, too. And we'd get there real early at Comiskey, and we went down in front, and we would have that ball, and we would just hope somebody would come by and sign our ball. Well, that particular day, Reggie Jackson was signing baseballs. And you know what Reggie said to me? He goes, Phil, can I take that ball? Can I sign that? You want me to make that out to you, Phil? He didn't say that. He did sign my ball, and he signed my brother's ball. He didn't even look at me. He was talking to somebody else as he's taking it. And chicken scratch. I'm like, it's not even his name. But that would have amazed me if Reggie would have said, Hey, Phil, he doesn't know me. I don't know him. Well, what do you think Zacchaeus was feeling in this moment? I mean, just, oh, my God goodness what is happening here i'm in shock ask me anything you want i mean reggie jackson could have asked me to run across the field i would oh, yeah sure this is an amazing moment in time i'm guessing he couldn't imagine though that this guy wanted to come to his house nobody wanted to go to zacchaeus's house he was the chief tax collector. He had a beautiful house. High tech. Upgraded all appliances. It was a gorgeous house, but no one wanted to come. Not even his family. His family, they were embarrassed by him. You see, I'll tell you later in the story, but Zacchaeus, I believe he knew the scriptures. His, his mom and dad, they named him Zacchaeus. The name Zacchaeus, the Hebrew origin, meant pure or innocent. Man, they had to be so disappointed in who Zacchaeus became. He was all about possessions, all about money. You know, because of that, Zacchaeus had a whole bunch of walls built up. 
He knew that people really didn't like him and he didn't care. He just wanted to make more and more money. That's how he got to be where he is. And so he kept those walls up. But for whatever reason, literally and metaphorically, when Jesus spoke to him, the walls came tumbling down. And you know, you and I, let me just assume you're a Christian just for this conversation. You and I, as believers in Christ, we have a bunch of walls that we put up. Maybe because of things that have happened in the past. Maybe because of things that are going on in our life. Maybe because we have some prejudice, things going on in our life. Maybe we think you're too, you think you're too good because of the car you're driving. Maybe, maybe we think, uh, we're a little bit older and that teenager, they don't want to talk to me. They're too young. We have these weird walls built up. You know, sometimes you have walls built up because you're sinning. You're engaged in some habitual sin that you're trying to work on getting out. And so, you know what? I, I can't really engage in that because I got to deal with this or, or I don't want to deal with this. I, I just got this going on. So let me put up these walls and I don't want people to come in. And that's the beauty of Jesus. He's calling to you and he wants these walls to be crumbled down and he wants to connect with you. He wants you to connect with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Mark 3.35, we are all brothers and sisters and mothers in Christ. These aren't things that I just make up. These are from Scripture, friends. And our job as brothers and sisters in Christ are to encourage one another and to spur one another on, and we'll get to that later. But we got to break down these walls. we got to break down whatever this is, why you're scared to talk to somebody or scared to engage with them. You know what we do here at Village Bible Church? We have three services, so we have a lot of people that come to all three services. And when we see somebody new, we automatically say, oh, they must go to the second service. They must go to the first service. Oh, I, I haven't seen them in a while. Uh, I, I, I remember their face, but yeah, I, I don't know who they are. As a staff, we, we've tried to figure out, uh, okay, okay, they're, okay, they've been going here a couple weeks. Oh, they've been going here for four months. They've been, so we just break it all down. If you don't necessarily recognize somebody, go ahead and just greet them and say, hey, how long have you been going to village? It just breaks down the wall. Who cares? We just love people, and that's what our whole thing is, and we'll get to that at the end, is to love one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another. And this is where the rubber meets the road, in a sense. Jesus, he didn't wait for Zacchaeus to break down a wall. Jesus, when we take Jesus' point of view, he went and said, Zacchaeus, take me to your home. Now, after church today, I'm probably going to invite myself to multiple people's homes. Someone actually told me uh, today that they're coming to our house for lunch. Hun, sorry about that. Uh, they invited themselves. You know, they, Jesus took the initiative is what I'm trying to get to. And we need to take the initiative many times on getting connected with people around us, those sitting around us, not just for the 60 seconds, but outside of those 60 seconds. Find places where you can serve with other people, connect with each other. As I studied this story of Zacchaeus, this familiar story that I already knew, and I started digging into it for hours and hours about who Zacchaeus was and, and how in this connection, how Jesus connected with them. And 
all of a sudden hit me that I'm Zacchaeus. I know a whole bunch of God's word. I've got a whole bunch hidden in my heart. We'll get to that about him. But what am I doing? How am I serving Jesus in, in ways that are, are real and consistent? I need to yearn for that conversation with Jesus on an ongoing basis. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus has already been the one to be there. He's there already, and he, he just wants to welcome you to welcome him in. The radical part about the story is that Jesus didn't just go to his house because he was hungry. He, he probably was hungry. Jesus uh, was at times hungry, shows his humanity. But he came to confront Zacchaeus. Now, we don't know exactly what that confrontation was. Scripture doesn't privy us to the script of what happened. But we know that Jesus, based on all of the Scripture, we know that he would have he would have confronted Zacchaeus in love and grace and truth. He would have talked to Zacchaeus about his lifestyle. He would have talked to him about his choices. He would have talked to Zacchaeus about his sin. About his sin. It would have been a confrontational grace, a grace that says, you know what, Zacchaeus, I see you. I see you, and I understand what you're going through, and I'm going to challenge you to be better. I'm going to challenge you to be better. I think this is a crucial part for us uh, to apply to our lives. Because I, I don't think that this happens too often uh, at church anymore. Where we are, we are intentionally confronting a brother or sister in Christ. Where we're doing it with tremendous amount of grace. And we're saying, you know what? I saw you last night. I saw you last night, and uh, that wasn't your wife. What were you doing? Hey, you know what? I, I heard we, we were doing that job over there, and I, I heard you telling that joke uh, to the other guys. That's interesting. We go to church together. Are, are, you, are you following Jesus Christ? Are you, are you looking to him? You see, these are hard things. These are hard things for us to do because, because we really do, that's part of loving each other. People who are different than us, really confronting them in love, but always heavily in grace. We don't need to assume the worst in people. We need to assume the best in people, but to love them and to challenge them. This is where real transformation starts happening as, as people of God. The final segment in our first section, looking at the life of this rich tax collector, we do see that transformation. We come to the transformative experience of Zacchaeus, the moment in time where Zacchaeus completely, his life completely changes. Everything about him, his entire legacy changes. Because that's the only legacy that, frankly, I care about. Put on my tombstone, Philip Chapman a follower of Jesus Christ. In the end, that's all that matters. The Bible tells us after this encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus 
He didn't just offer apologies. He went out and made restitution. He didn't just welcome Jesus into his home. He welcomed him into his life and into his heart. And then at the end, Jesus declares to all the public that Zacchaeus has been saved. He's given his life to me. Starting in verse 8 of Luke 19, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, transformation is a, an unbelievable thing. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You are transformed. But sometimes, sometimes, you need a verse that, that moves you forward. Brian said in his testimony, hey, that verse, that, that just kicks me really hard. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that transformation so we can start making some changes in our life. We can, we can adjust some things. What are, what are our priorities? Maybe we can move from focusing on possessions to relationships. Stepping out of our comfort zones. Embracing the transformation that God gave to us as individuals, as people who love Jesus. And you know what it ends up meaning? When we are really transformed, it's just like my friend Aaron Wagner, who's, who's teaching our, our, uh, our, our class in the evening on apologetics. He, he says, our entire life should be filtered through the Word of God. Everything we do, everything that we think, everything that we say, every decision, where our money's being spent, it should be filtered through God's Word. And that's how we, we serve our King with great pleasure, with great honor. But it starts with a decision, decision to follow Jesus, to let him in to our home. Jesus, or Zacchaeus did that. You know, transformation inevitably happens when you welcome Jesus not only into your home, but you welcome him as a resident of your home. And Zacchaeus, he put his faith into action right away, just like James tells us. He put his faith into action. I mentioned earlier, Zacchaeus... I'm guessing he was a student of, of the scriptures. You see, Zacchaeus, when, when, when Jesus entered his life, he, he had to be like, oh boy, I've got to do something here. It's not just about, okay, I'm, I'm done. Nothing needs to change. No, I've got to do something here. Okay, let me think here. Um, Leviticus 6, 5 and Numbers 5, 6, and 7, if I remember right, they tell me if I do something to somebody, I take something from someone I should give it back to him in full plus 20%. So 120%. It's like, no, that's not enough. Then maybe he was thinking, oh, Exodus 22, verses 4 and 7. That's what I'll do. I will give him double. If I rob somebody, I'm supposed to give him double. No, I don't think that does it. I got it. I really did wrong. I'm going to go to Exodus 22, 1, where it says I should give fourfold, 400% back. And so 
in reality, what he did is he gave away half of everything he had to the poor. And then the other half, he said, okay, I got to keep this because I got to I got to pay back hundreds of people 400% of what I took from them. That's going to take a long time. Scripture doesn't tell us all that. It would be great to know that story. He was, he was convicted. He was changed. That's the beauty of stories like this. Their life changed. Their transformation changes. It's why we have those, uh, those little episodes called uh, That's My Story, where they tell about life change. That's why we have those baptism videos. It's about transformation. You were this at one moment. The next moment you were this. A new creation. Transformed. You know, just the other day we were painting in the hallway down, down the hall and painting all that and a bunch of people, uh, we were together. And, and the stories that we heard from one another, we laughed a lot, but we heard all these transformation stories how they gave their life to Christ or what happened with, with their marriage and, and how that guided them to come to church eventually. That's what we, that's the beauty of being at church is we hear these transformation stories. Verse 10, verse 10, it says it all, friends. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the one responsible for all the stories. Let me say that again in case you didn't hear it. Jesus is the only one responsible for all of the stories. Jesus is the one who called Zacchaeus by name. Jesus is the one who called me by name. Before all the foundation of the world... Jesus knew that he was going to go to Zacchaeus' home. When he was teaching parables, when we were starting to read about in Luke 9 and 10 and 11, he's teaching all these parables to people. He knew right where he was going to stop on that road in Jericho. And you know what? When that sycamore tree was being planted, <laughs> he's like... That's the tree that little Zacchaeus is going to climb up. Perfect timing. You see, we serve a sovereign God, friends. A sovereign God who knows every step. We need to celebrate that more. We need to look backwards sometimes in order to understand and to celebrate. That's why we're having a men's uh, breakfast next Saturday. The, the whole focus is to celebrate the sovereignty of God, understanding what he has done to some more seasoned gentlemen uh, in this church, to share it with the next generations about what God is doing in their life and what he's done. And that all brings us to the point of where we need to serve God following his mandates in Matthew 22. You see, our lives at church and everywhere should be Guided by the commandment that Jesus declares. We should feel the obligation that we are to love one another with great love. And we should be eager to demonstrate our love on an ongoing basis. Our relationship with God is a vertical connection with the divine. And when, because of that vertical connection, it's automatically horizontal. It's automatically pushing out of us to love our brother as ourselves. 
1 Corinthians 12 tells us that, that being part of the body of Christ, each of us have an equal part. We're all valuable. No matter what our role is, we all uniquely contribute. And when one of us is hurting, all of us should be hurting. I had surgery on my big toe a couple years ago. Man, I was down. If you get a get a toothache, oh, you're in the corner crying. You see, little things will take us completely out because they matter. Each little piece on our body, everything that we do here at church, it all matters. See, this commandment that Jesus gave just cuts through the complexities of the religious law to reveal that, in essence, our faith is all about one thing, love. Love. Not a human endeavor, though, a divine one. 1 John 4.19, it reminds us that we have zero clue of how to love people. Zero clue of how to love God. But 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. God's love is the foundation to all the other things that we do, all the other things that we say to one another. We're told in Deuteronomy 6.5 that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, everything. And just as Paul said in Galatians 5.14, why? Because all the law is fulfilled when we love our brother as ourselves. Love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? All those around us. How do we experience the depths of God's love? Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It should be a competition. Guys, I got your attention. You love competition. Compete. Try to outdo your family to love them more ways than you can imagine. Outdo each other to love each other more and more. Grandmas, outdo anyone in, in loving those grandchildren, showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Simple acts of love, we fulfill what Jesus called the law and the prophets. The apostle Peter, he captures it well in 1 Peter 4, 8. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is the epitome of of our obedience to Christ. That we love one another with grace and truth. So as we conclude our service, I don't want us to forget, quickly forget this transformative story of Zacchaeus. Because it's a great story. But remember the transformation that God did with you. Let's seek real opportunities to make connections to those people that are sitting around us. Make it a goal to learn about a, a family, a new family, every single week. Just one. Just one. Get plugged in. Volunteer. Grow deeper relationships. Go to small group. Learn more from there. But above all of those things, beyond all of those things, love the King of Kings. I think that's what we need to do. We need to step away from this and just be in awe of all that Jesus has done for us. Because he is the greatest. 
He's the one with the unconditional love. And I'm so thankful for that. Amen.